Today on Fallout Friday, we're going to talk about the allegory of the cave, updating your priors, roller skating, sexuality, stubbornness, big tech, and the artist formerly known as the artist formerly known as Prince. But first, today's show is brought to you by The Edit from Timber. The Edit connects podcasters with industry professionals who will listen to their work and give them constructive feedback. Check them out at followfriday.net slash timber. Today is a good day to meet some new friends. Hey. Everyone make a way. The show is a buffet of folks you should know. Hey. So let's have a swallow. Well, that's enough for a place. So now right away. With no further delay. It's Follow Friday. It's Follow Friday. I'm Eric Johnson. Welcome to Follow Friday, the podcast about who you should follow online. Every week, I talk to creative people about who they follow and why. This is a guided tour to the best people on the internet, led by your favorite writers, podcasters, comedians, and more. If this is your first episode of the show, please take a moment now and follow or subscribe in your podcast app. Another thing I do every week is just for our patrons at patreon.com slash Friday. I release a bonus follow recommendation there that does not appear in the main show. So far, there have been 18 bonus minisodes, totaling more than two hours of additional material. So if you want the full guided tour, you should head on over to Patreon and support us there. It's a pay-what-you-want donation, so you can pay anything starting at just $1 a month. $1. I mention all of that because today I am unlocking some of those bonus episodes and sharing them here on the main podcast feed. If you've been on the fence about joining the Patreon page, then today's show will give you a good idea of what to expect there. It's just like the normal podcast, except, you know, there's more of it. Today we're going to hear some follow recommendations from four people who have been on the show before. First up is British comedian Alistair Beckett-King, who recommended an account related to philosophy memes. Enjoy. It's Final Friday. Alistair, I asked you for someone who's an expert in a very specific niche that you love, and you cited Liam Bright, who's on Twitter at LastPositivist. Liam describes himself as an aspiring philosopher and tolerable human. So what's the niche that Liam is an expert in? Well, it is weird and arrogant of me to refer to philosophy as a niche, isn't it? <laughs> the basic questions about our lives and our existence and reality. Bit niche, in my view. Yeah, bit not, of a, uh, bit of, YouTube is more popular now. It's fine. Yeah, it's not like sports right. or something everyone likes. It's just like, <laughs> it's just the nature of reality. Yeah. It's a bit niche. Take it or leave it. And uh, Liam is a, a, a philosopher and an academic who I don't know how I stumbled on his uh, his his Twitter app, but his Twitter output is very funny, um, it, full of um, f- sort of philosophy in jokes and memes and strangely self-aggrandizing, ironically self-aggrandizing claims. <laughs> like what? Like what? What does he say? What's self-aggrandizing about what he says? He won an award called so, like some variation on like Lever Hume. I don't know how to say. You it. can tell like me if, if, if pronounced any way, I will believe you. <laughs> yeah, if we were involved in like research in. British academia, we might have heard of that. We're not. 
And he will bring that up an awful lot. It's like, you know, when uh, I don't know if you remember when Ricky Gervais started winning awards, he was very smugly arrogant about it. It's like, like a likable version of that. <laughs> the thing is, I, like, I'm very much an example of the Dunning-Kruger effect when it comes to philosophy. Like, I'm interested in it, but I don't really know much about it. So I imagine that I know loads about it. <laughs> uh, Plato's Cave? Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, I'm pretty, uh, pretty much an expert in philosophy, in general philosophical stuff. Uh, and his sort of specific in-jokes remind me that I just don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I get like a fraction of what's going on. I, I, you know, I'm constantly having to look up phrases and references to try and work out what the joke is. So when you see something, Liam posting something that you don't understand, you actually then go do like research to... Oh to yeah, like, I do yeah. the reading. Yeah, I do. I, I'm not, I'm not being beaten by someone on Twitter. No. <laughs> so it's like sort of, it's like listening in at the door as your, your parents have friends over, you know, they're having a conversation. You can't possibly understand it. It's yeah. too sophisticated and grown up. <laughs> And, and so that's how I feel about faster. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So I would hear things through the door and then I would go and look them up like a, like a cool kid. <laughs> so I, I, I attempted to, to look up cause, cause Liam's Twitter handle is last positivist. So I tried to look up positivism. I looked at the Wikipedia article, really it's at the top of the Wikipedia article for several minutes. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'm maybe. Wait, got you didn't it? get down to the other reading section? Uh, the- no. No, no. What about much. in pop culture? Yeah, there's no. probably not an in pop culture <laughs> section for positivism. Did you, do you have a sense for, from your, from your uh, extensive research of, of what positivism is or? <laughs> Don't humiliate me, Eric. No, I can't tell you what positivism is. I, I can do some of them, but no, I, I, I can't explain okay. what positivism the, is. I, I, the, this, is, this, is yeah. this is why I admire his Twitter right. output, because, <laughs> because to me it's all bright colours and shapes. It's, right. That is the reason. If I understood <laughs> it, I'd probably be like, uh, no, you've got that wrong, but because I only have a, 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 a tiny grasp on it. It seems so dazzling. I, I think you should start replying to Liam's tweets with your own toppers of just like, you know, hey, have you heard of Plato's <laughs> Allegory of the Cave? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you're familiar. Look up uh, look up Socrates. I think you might find a few interesting nuggets. <laughs> a couple of nuggets in the, in the world of old uh, Socrates. But yeah, I was I was looking at what Liam's tweets and so like after the so we're we're recording this a few days after the Euros soccer championships in which Italy killed off the last bit of national pride and unity that England had left, and uh, and so Liam is sharing like philosophy memes about the finals and about the Italy team versus the England team, and so it's like it's this very familiar Twitter format where it's a comedian who is very well versed in a specific idea or in pop culture or whatever just applying it to the current events of whatever people are talking about on twitter yeah and so it's just it is fascinating just to look at his tweets and as you're saying it's all colors and shapes it's it's just like <laughs> huh that's probably funny anyway <laughs> i've always been a huge comedy nerd yeah and so whenever i hear a joke i want to know why it's funny if i don't get it so i'm i'm the bad reply guy <laughs> i'm the person in the youtube comes going why it. is this funny i need to know i'm not gonna laugh but i have to know and so, I, you know, I would watch grown-up stuff and sitcoms that I didn't understand, mm-hmm. and, I would, and I would notice the jokes I didn't understand, and I would make a note of it. Right. And I, would want to, I would want to try and understand what it is, and I guess that hasn't gone away. Like, if people are laughing, I want to know why. I want to know how it works. Yeah. I want to, I want to control and own all of the fun. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I'm saying. It must be mine, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, yeah, just a, a rapacious fun thief who wants to <laughs> gather it all together and hoard it like a dragon and then sleep sleep on a huge bed of laughter. 
that's my plan. Well, so I'm wondering if, if like all the research that you've done in order to start to understand Liam's jokes, have you? Do you feel you've personally bettered yourself by by studying, you know, philosophy accidentally? Well, I did. Uh, I, I, it was it was through him that I found out a lot of people in sort of academic Twitter were talking about Bayesian reasoning a while ago, and so I, I went away and tried to find out what Bayesian reasoning is. Do you know what Bayesian reasoning is? No clue. Absolutely no clue. So, uh, so Bayes is a mathematician, and it's it's about assessing likelihoods of things. And the 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 math side of it is is beyond me. But there's a sort of pop version of it, which is which has become quite popular. Which, in its basic form, is quite reasonable. Which is that we don't have to believe or disbelieve something. You can be fifty, sixty, seventy percent confident of something. This comes up a lot on Twitter. If someone is accused of a, a terrible crime, we we haven't yet, you know, seen all of the evidence. They've been accused. We we don't know one way. We don't have to act as if we believe them to be innocent, but we equally don't have to act as if we believe them to be guilty, because we don't yet know what the what the Bayesian folks say is. Okay, well, you have a, a sort of prior assumptions that lead us to uh, a, you know a, a level of confidence of something, but as new information comes in. Uh, we don't have to sort of flip-flop. You can go, okay, well, I was confident, but now, well, here's the video of the guy doing the thing. Okay, so that is that is changing. I'm updating my priors, and I'm now much... So now I might say I'm 95% confident or I'm 100% confident. That thing that people do where they say, I, I, I saw somebody on Twitter saying, well, I'm going to update my priors. It's like... No, you aren't, because because you can't turn your beliefs into a percentage. That, this, <laughs> that is That's the gap. You know, the... That's the bit where you just make up a number that you th- that you think reflects how confident you are. That isn't maths. You aren't doing maths. What that is is guessing. You are just guessing. Stop giving it a fancy name, guesses. So, um, um I, that it, it, obviously there is a version of Bayesian reasoning which is which is about things f- for which we can be confident of numbers, right. and that is, as far as I know, valid. But it's it, the pop version of it that is going around on Twitter. Um, I am deeply sceptical of. Sounds like a way of putting a philosophical gloss on, <laughs> I reckon. I reckon this is the way it is. But if I'm wrong, I'll update my priors and then guess again differently. I mean, what, what's the point of academia if not to just put a gloss on top of not knowing anything? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, that's the whole idea. As far as I know, you are right. That was Liam Bright, who's on Twitter at Last Positivist, as recommended by comedian Alistair Beckett-King. You can find the rest of his follows in the main podcast feed. Just scroll back to late July. Next up is a recommendation from journalist Morgan Sung, who was writing for Mashable when she came on the podcast in August. Recently, though, she took a job at NBC News, which was already doing some of my favorite reporting about the internet, and now that team is even stronger with her there. But here's Morgan talking about another passion of hers other than journalism. It's Final Friday. Morgan, let's move on to your next follow, which is someone you just started following. You said Liz Brazil, who's on Instagram at Fairy Quad Muva, and Muva is spelled M-U-V-A. I was hoping someone like this would come up uh, because you and Liz are both very into roller skating. Uh, you wrote a great piece about skating for Mashable last year that everyone should read. Talk about why you love what, what Liz posts. Yeah, so Liz is also a journalist. Um, I followed her literally two days ago. Um, well, I, I found her on Instagram because I picked up roller skating when I first moved to L.A., but wasn't really seriously doing it. It was the kind of thing where like, I owned roller skates and I touched them maybe like twice a year tops. 
And then during the pandemic, like I was going stir crazy, you know, I was feeling just really bad about myself or you know, like never being active and kind of just feeling like I was surrounded by screens all the time. So I picked up roller skating again and it became a huge passion of mine. And, you know, at this point I like have a very close like family almost of like people who also roller skate. I've gotten way more connected with like LA's queer community through roller skating. I, you know, it's kept me active and kind of forced me to go outside even like the depths of pandemic depression being like I haven't gone outside in four days like well no wonder I'm in such a bad mood right and so I follow a lot of roller skaters and I she had come up on my explore page and I was like watching her do like one of these moves I was trying to replicate and then I found out she's actually also a journalist she is up in Seattle like the local Seattle NPR station and I was just like that's so cool like another journalist who skates yeah. and I just think she's pretty freaking cool you know well yeah so both of you have been kind of documenting your progress with sort of like learning how to do new like skating moves and and and, and dancing on roller skates um like I'm not a skater so I'm very easy to impress but as as someone who has been skating for for a while now like uh, how impressive are Liz's moves? Like, are you, are you, do you, are you watching from a position of relating, like being able to be like, okay, I can try that this weekend. Or are you watching her videos and being like, wow, that is beyond, you know, my, my comfort level right now. I mean, I kind of look at her videos and I'm like, that's something I want to learn. And I think I can learn it in like, it'll take like a month of practice, but it's something achievable, which is also what I really like about all of her posts is that, you know, none of them feel like, like she's an incredible skater. But at the same time, none of her posts seem almost unattainable, you know, like I think she was also a pandemic skater. Um, I, she like mentioned on her Instagram that she like started in um, also during the, pan, you know, in like last summer about the same time I did. And I just yeah, it's a kind of thing where like roller skating, specifically like roller skaters who learned during the pandemic didn't learn from coaches or from you know, formal right. lessons. They all learned from each other and from watching videos online. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's, I just think that she's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So for, for, for a new skater, someone who has not started skating yet, what's your advice for people who want to start if they want to, you know, in a year's time, be like you and Liz, like what skates should you buy? What, what do you think is the best way to learn right now while we're still kind of in, you know, pandemic times? Okay, so in terms of like what skates you should buy, ignore Reddit, ignore Instagram, because I my first pair of skates was a very, very, very cheap pair of skates that kind of fell apart quickly because they were like the kind that were pretty, but not really, you know, like designed for hardcore skating. Mm -hmm. And so I totally got lost in like the Reddit forums, like being like, oh, my God, you need to like pay, you know, like twelve hundred dollars for these custom skates that Olympic figure skaters wear or like you need to do this to your skates, you need to customize that. And like, it's really overwhelming. You really don't need all that information. Just if you can go to your local skate shop and be like, Hey, I'm a new skater. And here are my goals. Like, if you want to just learn how to roller skate outside, that's like one category of skate. If you want to learn how to like do sort of dance skating, like Liz does, um, that's another different kind of skate. I've been learning a lot of like park skating. So at the skate park, and that's a different kind of skate. And what I did was I just gave up. <laughs> I called my local skate shop and was like, hey, I'm overwhelmed. Can I just come in? And they were delightful. They, I drove like an hour out of LA. And so it wasn't really that local, but it was like <laughs> a Southern California independently owned skate shop and kind of just went in and tried on a bunch of stuff. And I was like, I think I want to build my own skates. And they're like, cool, here are all the parts you need. 
to do it yourself. And like, here's what you can keep in mind. And I was like, that's cool. So yeah, definitely having like going in person if you can and talking to actual, to people who actually like know what they're talking about instead of getting lost in the rabbit holes of Reddit forums and Instagram comments and like discourse about like Mm -hmm. which skates are like, there's a whole like sort of elitism in roller skating and that like you have to pay a ton of money to be counted as a real roller skater, um, which is not true. Like I learned to skate on like, a shitty $60 pair of skates that they did fine. I, I used them for almost a year and a half and they were perfectly fine. I mean, they were, they weren't great. Like when I finally got like nicer skates, I was like, Oh my God, this is great. But I think it's, I'm very much in the mentality of like, if you can skate on like something falling apart, you can skate on anything. <laughs> um, and as for new skaters who do own skates, just bend your knees, <laughs> keep your knees bent. <laughs> That was Liz Brazil, who's on Instagram at Fairy Quad Mova, as recommended by journalist Morgan Sung. We're going to take a quick break now, but we'll be back in a minute with more unlocked follow recommendations from the Follow Friday Patreon. Today's show is brought to you by The Edit from Timber. If you have a podcast, you're probably proud of what you've made, and that's great. I mean, you should be. Creating something new is always wonderful, but that doesn't mean you can't make it better. The Edit from Timber can help you with that. For only $20 a month, you'll get constructive feedback on your podcast from industry professionals like Sky Pillsbury, Jenna Spinell, Shruti Ravindran, and me, Eric Johnson. Sign up today at followfriday.net slash timber. That's followfriday.net slash T-I-M-B-E-R. And just a reminder that all of the follow recommendations you are hearing today come from the Follow Friday Patreon page, and you can get new bonus recommendations every week for as little as a dollar a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash followfriday to get bonus episodes with people like Freddie Wong from Rocket Jump, Kara Swisher from the New York Times, and Dave Jorgensen from the Washington Post. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash followfriday. Friday. Welcome back to Follow Friday. Next up, we have a bonus follow recommendation from Lindsay Ellis, who runs an outstanding YouTube channel and is also the author of two best-selling sci-fi novels, Axiom's End and Truth of the Divine. I was really surprised by this pick from Lindsay because it's someone who has maybe challenged her on certain topics. Our conversation gets into some heavy stuff, but it's really good. Enjoy. Lindsay, let's move on to your next follow. I asked you for someone who makes you think, and you said Cat Black, who's on YouTube at Cat Black, K-A-T-B-L-A-Q-U-E. And she's also on Twitter and Instagram at Cat underscore Black. So in her YouTube bio, Cat says the theme of her videos is how we can relate to each other more and fight against the things that divide us while not losing sight of our own boundaries. Talk about the videos that she makes and, and what they mean to you. So it's interesting because she loves taking on like kind of hot topics, you know, and, you know, as a black transgender woman, all is already kind of, uh, I guess, a lightning rod where people will, I guess, automatically maybe assume the worst or kind of see her as a target, even though she'll always have a really strong opinion. She'll try to approach them like with a really empathetic lens. And whenever a topic comes up, any topic, she like 
when even like on Twitter, which, you know, I, and I guess I should say like, I only chose YouTubers because Twitter is bad and bad for you. Um, like no one should use it. Everyone should stop using it. (laughs) And so, uh, but like I, you know, she, she, when on Twitter, we'll definitely try to like feel out a topic, like try to get all sides of a topic before you know presenting her own opinion to the world yeah and she uh, also recently launched a podcast called true tea mm-hmm. um in may she did a whole episode about something you said oh yeah i was on it <laughs> yeah we, we literally don't have enough time to recount this whole story but i think the very short version correct me if i'm wrong is that Several years ago, you wrote something about how bisexual people are perceived differently than other queer people, um, and then this was dug up by some people who are not fans of your work and was being used as a criticism of you. Am I in the ballpark there of what Kat was yeah, responding it, to? Basically, it was this uh, this question of like, do like bisexual people in straight passing relationships, you know, even if you are both like you know non-binary or bisexual or whatever, uh, like if you know society perceives you as a heterosexual relationship is that a form of privilege even if it is also a form of erasure mm-hmm. and so I, I kind of, my attitude was yes I think it is because like even if erasure is kind of painful and is harmful on a personal level you know privilege is not a is an, is not an internal process it is how people treat you right privilege as a concept is purely external and if pe- if your life is easier if people treat you you know as the default just based on your the way you are perceived you know it's not that you don't suffer or struggle but like that is a form of privilege your life is just easier because people perceive you as the cultural default it's a really sensitive subject because i like you know I, I saw like the gamut of uh like you know bisexual women in particular I, I think it also depended like as an age thing like the younger crowd tended to be really angry at this idea that like erasure can be a form of privilege but like older women like and by older I mean like my age like they tended to be like yeah like I think about this a lot I f- do feel like a kind of imposter syndrome like especially like like if I'm married or like in a long-term relationship I haven't really experienced any like form of persecution especially like within your family they kind of like if you do enter a long-term heterosexual relationship like your family will be like oh it was a phase and you grew out of it right you know and then they just kind of assume that it's over and it's not like that on a personal level can't be like harmful to you but at the same time it's just like again privilege is a function of how society treats you and so basically like that was sort of like my my thought and it it's uh I don't know. I both understand and don't understand why it upsets people so much because at the end of the day, it's like, it's not a provable thing. It's just an opinion, man. And I like, is this harming people? I don't know. Maybe. I don't think it is. But like, just, I, I don't, I don't feel like the um, anger at that statement really comes from the statement itself i think it comes from antipathy towards me personally and that's why people focused on it because otherwise i don't think it really makes sense to focus on this idea as a thing that is doing harm to the bisexual community relative to the myriad million other things 
Sure. But as you mentioned, so Kat is a black trans woman. A lot of her videos are dealing with gender issues, with yeah. transness, with sexuality. So she has, you know, on her podcast, she did a, I think initially it's a long response to it by herself. And then maybe you dialed into a later episode. Yeah, yeah. She, well, it was two, it was like one long episode that she divided into two. But um, yeah. uh, basically, like, she is very, very, like, aggressively straight like zero interested women at all so like she was kind of coming into this conversation like fascinated by it because she was also kind of coming in with her own baggage having dated like bisexual men versus straight men and the way straight men kind of treat the queer community as a thing that is like a a fun romp I might Mm. play with for a while but like when it's time to settle down I'm gonna go for something more normal so basically her attitude was like it is a subconscious thing that you know maybe you are kind of drawn to normalcy in your long-term relationships like the cultural default and there were a lot of people who were just outraged by this idea that maybe subconsciously people are kind of more likely to you know couple in a way that is more in line with the cultural default just because it's easier and you're like especially if you have a close relationship with your family it's less controversial to them and you know people you know were just like how dare you i love my husband and it's like you know, the person you choose to be with isn't just a person, like they're a whole package, (laughs) including their gender, including their family, including their sexuality, including their race. And all of these factors kind of combine into like your subconscious pros and cons category. And Kat's basic argument was that like in her experience, she did find that like even with bisexual men, when it came to time to settle down, they'd kind of lose interest in her and go for a cisgender woman and usually a cisgender white woman. And like, was it because they're necessarily racist? Probably not. But like, it's a trend that she's noticed. And like, basically, like, her idea was like, yeah, it makes sense that they're gonna want to like, just if on a subconscious level, they just maybe want to go for what's culturally easier, what's the default, what's gonna be the path of least resistance. And like, again, I, I feel like someone, like, especially like a black trans woman, you know, living in LA, like big part of like the kink and BDSM community, sharing anecdotal uh, experience, like should not be a basis for anger, you know? It's just mm-hmm. like, you know, I feel like a lot of people are really insecure about this and that's part of the basis of the anger whenever you're confronted with this idea that like, Maybe you did choose your straight male partner <laughs> because, it, you know, your family wouldn't be as shitty as if you were with like a woman or a trans right. person or whatever. Like maybe on a subconscious level, you were drawn to this person because they felt more secure and people get like just to be confronted with that especially like as, you know, progressives, it's like, I guess it can be like traumatizing, but I I don't think it's fair for that to be a basis of to be angry about, especially if it's someone else just sharing their anecdotal experiences. And so was this whole exchange, was this your introduction to Kat's channel? Oh, no, no, no. I've known her for years. Really? Okay. So, oh, yeah. so you were like, w- w- would you say that you were friends with her or like? I was introduced to her channel through another uh, mutual friend, uh, ContraPoints, but that was like four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, we've uh, basically kind of like, we both live in LA, uh, you know, we'll cross paths at like, you know, industry parties or VidCon, or at least we did back before, you know, <laughs> yeah. back before the world stopped. 
Um, but, and yeah, like sometimes we'll like, you know, hang out in person. Um, so I'd say like, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're friends. Well, I'm just wondering like separate from this, this incident that it involved what you had said, what you had written, like how do her videos make you think differently? Like, well, what's something that maybe you've learned from watching her videos or some perspective you've gained for, from, from being sort of a fan of hers? Well, I can be like extremely stubborn. I uh, almost like it's kind of binaristic whenever I have a really strongly held opinion. And it's not like she doesn't have strongly held opinions, but like she tries to, you know, at least engage with multiple points of view, even if she doesn't necessarily respect them or if they are, you know, regardless of whether or not they are worthy of respect, which a lot of times they're not. But I think in order to like decide whether or not you're going to respect a point of view, you do need to understand it. And so I, I think a lot of times my, you know, default is to like kind of shut down whenever like I see some sort of like Ben Shapiro-ish point of view Mm -hmm. where I'm like this isn't worthy of my time or thought and it's like well no if you're going to have a strong opinion about it you should take the time to like understand where it's coming from and I think that's like doesn't really come naturally to people I think that's a I guess it's kind of a muscle you have to exercise she's very good about that and a lot of times she'll kind of like in exploring that will introduce, you know, points of view that it's like, even if I don't necessarily respect it, it's better to understand it. That was Cat Black, who was on YouTube at K-A-T-B-L-A-Q-U-E, as recommended by Lindsay Ellis. Last but certainly not least, on today's Patreon Unlocked episode of Follow Friday, we have a pick from Gavin Purcell, the host of Way Too Interested. Gavin came on the show a few weeks ago, and I always love talking to him. I've been helping him out with Way Too Interested Behind the Scenes, and I'm so, so proud of what we're making. His bonus follow is a type of person we don't get super often on the podcast. It's a tech CEO. But as you are about to hear, this is not your typical Silicon Valley bro. It's someone who I personally think is much, much cooler than that. Enjoy. It's Final Friday. Gavin, let's move on to your next follow. I asked you for someone you have followed forever, and you said Anil Dash, who is on Twitter at Anil Dash, A-N-I-L-D-A-S-H. He's the CEO of the web app development company Glitch, and he's been writing and blogging and podcasting about the internet for a good long while. How did you first start following him? Well, uh, honestly, I think it was very early days of Twitter. Anil has been around the digital space forever. This goes back to like, you know, I mentioned this earlier, but there was a really special time like in the mid 2000s where like kind of Web 2.0 first started and before like Twitter became, you know, Twitter that it is today or even five years ago. Before it became the place that literally every journalist on the planet hangs out and every celebrity has to, yeah. (laughs) Or presidents do terrible things on, you know, like it's like it it became everything, right? It became a crazy place. And back then it was like, you know, the beginning of Twitter was very small and charming. And, you know, the South by Southwest it launched at was very small. And like there was this really small community. And Anil was one of those people. And I think I followed him first before I even he was just one of the guys that in fact, I think he was on one of the initial Twitter follow lists. There was a there was a thing in the Twitter world where if you early on these people kind of got a ton of followers because they were suggested follows, right? This is, I remember like Felicia might've been on that list at one point and people like that. So Anil like already, I think he still has like a million followers and not that he's not, he's, she should, he's smart and funny, but he's, he's, you know, um, not like a giant celebrity. And I think he got an early boost early on, but I followed him then. And then uh, I did, we didn't know each other that much. I think we had a couple exchanges, 
Um, but then I think he and I started to exchange more when I went to go work at late night because Anil, one of my favorite things about Anil is he's a brilliant guy, has been in the web business for a long time, you know, has done a lot of really interesting stuff in the web, but he is so, he's like the biggest Prince fan I know. And he is like obsessed by Prince in a way that like, I, I there's only, there's a couple other people I know like this. And one of them is Questlove, by the way, but, um, Anil is just like super obsessed. And I think when I got the job at Fallon because of Quest and Anil knew that Quest was also obsessed, he and I started exchanging a lot more and we started to become friends. And like, he's just like one of those guys who there's something about people that are around your age that have the same sort of interests that you just connect with. And I think that, you know, my thing about people that are, you know, I'm in my mid forties and like, you just have similar sort of like reference points to stuff. So Anil and I were like that. Um, I think he's super, super smart, super um, interesting. He also just tweets a bunch of, of interesting stuff around the tech world. And also like a- amazingly aware of social situations and social social movements going on. And I think somebody that's really important to listen to for that especially on the tech side, right? Because we hear a lot on Twitter about social movements in, in a good way. And obviously we should, and it's one of the best uses of the platform. But Anil does a good job of kind of discerning what the social tech side of it all is. And I think is a really smart take on it generally. Yeah, similar, very similar to Zito in some ways, which is that if you follow Anil, I mean, he, he's on Twitter a lot. You, you're, it's going to be a lot of tweets incoming, but you gain a lot of value for, for your follow because he's, That's exactly he's right. talking about social movements. He's talking about tech. He's talking about politics. He's retweeting really funny, high quality viral tweets. There's a lot of good stuff going on uh, on his feed. Yeah. Is another one of those people that like uses Twitter as an extension of themselves rather than trying to create a brand, right? Like, and I think that goes back to like, to me, that's like the best use of social media is don't worry what people are thinking about, about what you're tweeting, just tweet the thing, right? And sometimes I've tweeted the dumbest things in the world. And, and, you know, at one point I was like deleting things that didn't get engagement, but then I was like, you know what, this is just why it's like, I don't care how many people follow me. It's like, uh, I don't ultimately, it's like, if you're going to like the stuff I put out, you're going to like it. If not, that's okay. There's 7 billion people in the world, (laughs) you know, there's a whole (laughs) bunch of more people that that are interested in it and want to do stuff. I sometimes just tweet out really like asinine hot takes about movies or whatever. And literally the only person who will like them is uh, my friend from grad school, David. And I don't care. Dave, those tweets are just for David. If no one else likes them, then exactly. too bad. <laughs> that's great. And honestly, like, why not? Because it's going to get forgotten about anyway. I mean, again, that's one of the beauties of, of social media is that like it's disposable, right? So like it doesn't cost anybody anything to just have it scroll by them. And most people, it goes by quick. Most people, they don't even see it. So like it's a it's a cool way to just kind of like figure out yourself going back to voice a little bit. Exactly. Well, yeah, so, so Anil used to host a podcast for Vox called Function, which is about how, quote, technology shapes culture and communications. But I think that description doesn't really do it justice. I mean, I think what I really like about following Anil and what he did on the podcast as well is he's a tech CEO who's also very explicit about, you know, these are risks and dangers. And here's like, you know, really important, as you're mentioning, social issues and other sort of like He's not just a rah-rah cheerleader type guy. He's also very cognizant of bad things that are maybe caused by how technology is changing the world. It's not all you know up and to the right, as, as they would say. A hundred percent. I don't know. Has, has he ever, is there anything that you remember that he has podcasted about or written about? Something that he has, has done that has changed your mind, has nudged you in some way to think about technology differently? 
I think he was one of the first people, and this could be totally wrong, and I'm sorry to know if this is if this is wrong, but I, I think it was one of the first people that kind of stuck with me the idea that like big tech is that there's a that I don't the scary is the wrong word, but we kind of have to keep our eye on big tech, right? Yeah. Like, and I think that that was a pretty early take of his in a good way. Um, and obviously with all the stuff that Facebook's been through, you know, pretty cognizant in a lot of ways too. And I think that having a voice like that, it, it, it's almost like having a tech ombudsman, like somebody that's like keeping an eye on the culture is a really cool thing. For folks who don't know, an ombudsman is a person typically embedded in a newsroom who is a journalist reporting on the operations of the newsroom and on, ma- on kind of keeping the rest of the organization in check in a way, responding to questions about ethics and concerns submitted by readers, things like that. Sorry to interrupt. Exactly. And, that, and that's kind of the way I see him in, in a way. Now, it's interesting because, you know, that tech community, at least the, the social web community that started in the mid 2000s was so small. And I, I was not like an active part of it. I was kind of from the outside watching it, but it, it, I was at least aware of it. And then it grew to su- such a big thing that in some ways those voices like Anil's don't get heard by the biggest parts of them anymore, but they need to be right. Like it, it, it's like in the same way that an ombudsman at the times or somewhere would work, it would be great to have like them be reviewing in a much bigger thing. Cause those tech companies and God, you know, God bless the tech companies. They're giant and they've done incredible things and, and scary things. And like, I'm not here to judge one way or the other, but like, they need to be at least people keeping an eye on them. And then also there needs to be people writing about what sort of things they're doing and talking about and how that affects the rest of us. That was Anil Dash, who is on Twitter at Anil Dash. Thanks again to Alistair Beckett-King, Morgan Sung, Lindsay Ellis, and Gavin Purcell for coming on Follow Friday and for sharing all these follows with me. If you missed any of their previous appearances, then do yourself a favor and go back to their original episodes. They are super. Normally, I would ask the guest here to tell us how to follow them, but let me do a lightning round on all of those folks' behalf. Alistair is on YouTube at King. Morgan is on Twitter at Morgan underscore Sung. Lindsay is on YouTube at Lindsay Ellis Vids. And Gavin is on Twitter at Gavin Purcell. And you can follow me on Twitter at HeyHeyESJ. And don't forget to check out Patreon.com slash FollowFriday for new bonus episodes every week. Follow Friday's theme music was written by me and performed by Yona Marie. Our show art was illustrated by Dodie Hermawan. That's all for this week. This is Eric Johnson reminding you to talk about people behind their backs. And when you do, say something nice. See you next Friday.